going to jump right into our lesson, our sermontribution. We regularly do this in our fellowship of churches. We have a special missions contribution where we, we set aside a, a time. If you remember from our, our midweek on, you know, the five things that we are saved, like, there, there, there's is an important factor of Christianity. And th- throughout the relationship with God, even into the Old Testament, markers of times are important. And so what we do is we set aside a Sunday every year where we talk about missions in a special way. And we, it's called our special missions contribution. And we can give, that, we can give money to that fund on a church website any, any day of the year. But we like to set aside a time where we're like, this is where we're going to focus on it. So today, the title of our lesson is A Life of Mission. Now, when a, when a preacher gets up and says, hey, I have a sermon on mission, usually either uh, it's about uh, money or evangelism. And those are both good things. Don't, don't get scared. Don't run away. But I want to look at something that involves, I guess, that, all of those and more, and even talk about our special mission contribution, I want to talk about what it means to live a life of mission. And when I say that, you probably think something, something popped into your head, but that's because we all have a different understanding of what that means, and I kind of want to, like, redefine that a little bit. So here's what's funny. I mean, we all love, like, I love war movies. Do any of you guys love war movies? Actually, side note, we, I set aside a night at our campus Devo in Ann Arbor to watch like a gritty war movie. I don't know if you've ever seen Hacksaw Ridge. Great, great war movie, violent, gory, uh, but also has a pretty spiritual theme to it too. And I was like, all right, guys, we're going to go watch the movie upstairs. Uh, but all the guys ended up playing like a Smash Bros tournament downstairs. And all the sisters came up and watched the gritty war movie. And they loved it. They were like, man, this is my, this is my favorite movie now. So um, I love war movies where there's like a mission to accomplish. And we can get hyped up and we can get psyched about that. Like, oh man, that's so brave or that's so amazing. But here's what's crazy. If you have the NIV New Testament, like the, the, the newer translation, in the New Testament, in the English, the word mission is only in the New Testament once. And it has probably, it's probably not where you expected to find it. The word mission, which you would think is a pretty important word in the Christian faith. And you're thinking, the Great Commission? The word mission actually isn't in there, in that section. The word mission in the New NIV, depending on your translation, is only in the New Testament in one place. And I want to look at it. And here's where it is. It's in a very strange place. Acts 12. It says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. All right, John 12, 25. This is it. This is where, if you're an English speaker reading the the NIV Bible, you're like, huh, this this is it? This is the only place where the word mission is? And... You change translations and you'll find the word mission maybe a couple more places. But, but I want to look at this word. And I want you to see that this word is actually in the New Testament a bunch of times. It's just the English translation to the word mission is only this one. But what they're describing is something that you're going to see 
all throughout the New Testament. And so, what is that word? Well, here it is. It's diakonia, okay? And it means, it's translated mission, but it also means service or ministry. Diakonia. And you'll also see like, sorry, diakoneo, which is another version of this word. Um, And it just would mean like, you know, it's a conjugated type version of this word. But we're going to look at all, not all the places, a few main places where we find this word. And what I'm hoping to do by the end of this is get you to see that a life of mission is, is a very broad term. It encompasses a lot of aspects of being a disciple, being living in the Christian faith. And I want you to find a place where you fit in this mission, in this diaconia, in this ministry, in this life of service. So here's an interesting place. So we're going to look at a few scriptures. So you got to hang in there with me. One of the interesting places we find this in the book of Acts is in Acts 6. This is, we've read this a couple times. This is where the widows, the widow's food dispute, the, the Hebraic widows are getting kind of preferential treatment over the, the Grecian or the Hellenistic widow. So I'll just read this, okay? It says, it's Acts 6, 1, and 4, 1 through 4. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. All right. So diaconia. Where, where would di- we find diaconia in this verse? And you might be thinking, well, I see the word ministry in there a couple times. And you would be correct about one of them. The other one, actually, it's a strange little tidbit, is, is actually not in the Greek. But these three instances are the word diaconia. Two of them are described to the, the service that was being done to feed the widows. That was a ministry. It was a diaconia. And different English translations, they, this second one where the NIV calls it wait on tables, that's a very strange decision. And I'm not, you know, I'm, the, the, the scholars are very smart. But it's just interesting because all three of those are the same word in the Greek, okay? But he is just, he's using the same word to describe both things. Serving the widows and preaching the word, the ministry of the word. Both of those things are diaconia. They're both ministry. They're both service. They're both mission. And I want us to start thinking that way. And I'm gonna, we're going to dig into this. That, that you may have a picture of what mission looks like in your mind, but I don't want you to think that that's only it. I want you to realize that it's broader than that. So we're going to talk about service because that's what was happening and that's what we're going to continue to see. You'll see multiple times where diaconia is is translated service. And you might be thinking, if we're being honest with ourselves, well, it sounds great, but I don't want to serve anyone. (laughs) I'd rather not. Do I have to sign up for that part of the Christian faith? And 
The answer is yes, you do. There's not a version of Christianity where we, we get to exempt ourselves from this. If you want a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus, but have no degree of serving others, then it turns out you actually don't want a relationship with Jesus. You want your version of what that's going to look like. In fact, I'll just read a couple scriptures. We won't put them up on the screen. But in Ephesians 4, it says, and we're going we're gonna to come back to this a little bit later. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people, that's us, for works of service, acts of diaconia. We need to, we are going to be equipped for this so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you want to live a life where you are maturing spiritually and you're becoming more and more like Jesus, that has to include the mission, which is serving. Serving in some way, serving people. And even Matthew 20, Jesus says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Diaconeo. And to give his life as a ransom for many. It is in the nature and character of Jesus to serve. So if we want to be like Jesus and yet not take on that very important part of who he is, we have to come to grips with the fact that maybe we actually don't want to be like Jesus. Service is an integral part of being uh, a Christian. Let's go to this next scripture. This is a great one. This is Paul talking about this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of diaconia. There are different kinds of diaconia, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. There are different kinds. Paul says, he literally says it plainly. There are different kinds of diaconia, different kinds of service, different kinds of ministry, different kinds of what the mission is going to look like. My question for you guys is, what is your diaconia? What is your ministry, mission, service? Like, what is the thing that you are going to do to meet needs, help others? serve be part of the mission you know i've mentioned this before we did a we did a lesson uh i think early early this year or maybe last year called uh church is messy you remember that one and i showed this picture uh but someone had said we were talking about that and they didn't remember it so i was like well i'll show it again this is a picture of a stone wall and a brick wall stone wall and brick wall and Throughout the Bible, we are referred to as stones, living stones. 1 Peter 2, 4-5 says, 
As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then, again, that verse in Ephesians, where it says, Jesus himself appointed these different types of people, evangelists, prophets, teachers, you know, shepherds. Like, he gave us different jobs and roles, and there's, we are different for a reason, so that when we work together, we can build something. And so, Jen and I think about this picture all the time, because if you think about a brick, now, if there are any, like, masons who like professional bricklayers listening I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to offend you but bricks are all the same they're like this big and this big and this big and and they're meant to be completely uniform so you can just stack a bunch of them together now that takes some skill I'm not like saying it doesn't but you can stack them together and if there was a brick you it doesn't matter where you put it that's the point I'm getting at it doesn't matter if I, if I pick up a random brick off the pile. It doesn't matter if I put it at the bottom of the wall or at the top of the wall or over here or over here because they're uniform. They're all the same. And so I don't have to think about where the bricks fit. They're all the same. If a brick falls out of the wall, it doesn't mean anything to me because there's nothing unique about the hole that it left. I just grab another brick and put it in there. And guys, I'm talking about you. You are not bricks. You are stones. If you have a stone wall, it takes a lot of energy to build. It takes a lot of thought to build a stone wall. The, 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 the craftsman, he has to pick up the stone, and he has to look at it, and he has to think, where the heck am I going to put this? How is this stone made? Because it's different than that stone and that stone. And every single stone is different. So I have to think. And oh my gosh, you know what? It's not, just, it's not just unique from this angle. Like if I turn it, oh my gosh, now it's like a whole new shape. Oh my gosh, if I turn it this way, it's a whole new shape. Where am I going to put this thing? It takes so much consideration to build with stones. And so what, what we want to do here is Look at you. Consider you. How are you made? How did God make you? Because man makes bricks. God makes stones. So where do you fit in the wall? And you might be like, I don't want to fit in the wall. Just leave me alone. Just leave me laying on the ground. That's not what, that's not what God is trying to do with his church. He's trying to take, take people and get them to work together to make something beautiful and amazing. And so the question again, what is your diaconia? What is your place in the wall where only you fit? And if you leave, you can't just plop another person in there. So think about that. I want us to have lots of conversations about that. What is your diaconia? All right, let's keep reading. Here's another instance of the word diaconia in the New Testament. And this kind of goes what we think about at this time when we do special missions. 2 Corinthians 8, this is uh, Paul talking about this thing that, that, that went down. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. 
In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this diaconia to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So this is the, the money side of that conversation, how we were talking about. This is a, an instance in the Bible where, uh, and it happened more than once, it happened several times, where people in one area were hurting and people that were not hurting said, we're going to give what we have to help them. And so that's how it went down. And it's, and it's a diaconia, it's a ministry, it's a mission, it's a service. And so this is what we do. And so our church, we, we collect money to send over to India. And we're going we're gonna to send them the money that we have pledged to send them. But we also have decided that like we are we have a mission here and specifically our kids the teens and the youth and family ministry uh, they are a mission too our children are a very important mission field to us and so we also want to set aside some money so that we can like what we're doing right now we use last year's special missions to help pay Alex and Courtney and I'm, I'm so glad that Alex and Courtney are here for the summer uh, and we want to continue doing that because our children are part of this mission as well. There's another mission, and it's the same word, okay? In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, the diaconia of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. This is very important. The same word, diaconia. It was used to describe feeding the widows. It was used to describe preaching the word. It was used to describe... Um, Sending money over to another area of the world. It was used to describe the responsibility that we have to help people get closer and reconciled back to God. And so sometimes when I try to explain to people what I do, I'm like, my job is really just to, whatever your relationship with God is, my job is to help that be better. It doesn't matter if you're lost or saved or young or old or rich or poor, whatever, like whatever, wherever you're at in your relationship with God my, God, my job is to try to make that a little bit better. And that's for all of us. He gave us this mission, this ministry, this service to the world of reconciliation, spreading the gospel and reconciling people to God. All right, so... I don't know how long I'm going to take. I got, a, I got a little more, okay? This is the verse we looked at at the very beginning. This is the, the mission, the English word mission in the Bible. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. But what is that mission? It just says they finished their mission. Well, let's go back and actually look and see what they did that was called a mission. 
Okay? Let's look at what this was. We're going to find it in Acts 11, starting in verse 25. And I'm going to give the, the context with this, okay? It says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so the mission that they were t- we talked about in that very first scripture, and the mission that was described in Acts 12 was this. And Paul, Saul, he had, I don't know if people had been calling him Paul yet, but the same guy, he was just chilling in Antioch preaching for a whole year. And he would just preach and explain the gospel and explain Jesus from the Old Testament. And then a need came up. Someone said, hey, the Spirit told me there's going to be a severe famine and these people need help. And so Barnabas and Saul said, well, let's go help them. And so they went. And then that's when we read later, they completed their mission, their diaconia. And so here we have, hopefully this comes up. Okay, this is silly, but this is how most of us think about the life of Paul. Okay, he starts out as Saul, and he's a really, really, really bad guy like murderer, persecutor, dragging people into prison, really, really bad. But thank God, he was blinded by Jesus, saw the light, now he's a Christian, and now he's Paul, and he's a really, really, really good guy. And that's how we think of Saul. That's how we think of Paul. He was, he was a bad guy, now he's a good guy. And in fact, he was way worse than us. I never, I've never killed anyone. I never dragged people off to prison. So I can't really relate to how bad he was. He was a bad guy. But then he turns into this like super amazing mega star of the the New Testament and he's like way better than me. And so we exempt ourselves from thinking like, well, I'm not like him when he was bad and I'm not like him when he's at his best. So it's almost this unattainable goal. He was worse than I ever was and he was better than I'll ever be is what we think about Paul. Guys, the problem is that's a very overly simplistic way of viewing uh, the life of Paul. And I just took a snapshot out of, um, out of the middle. And I'm not going to animate this, but I, I want to I explain it to you. This is actually a better representation of the life of Paul. Okay? So he kills Stephen, and then two years later, so that is his persecution phase where he's killing people. But then in around 34 AD is when he becomes a Christian. And he goes through the whole thing. You remember, he's blinded. Uh, Ananias helps him. And so, yay. He then, and I'm amazed how many people forget this about Paul. He then went off into the Middle East. He went to Arabia for three years. And he says that he just kind of spent time with Jesus for three years. Almost mirroring Jesus' ministry. Three years. And so he spent three years in Arabia. He comes back and he's like, hey, he dips his toe in the water of like 
preaching and teaching, it doesn't go well. He comes back and he's, uh, he goes to Damascus and Jerusalem and they run him out. They're like, we're going to kill you. And the, the funny thing is, it came from the Jews and it came from the Christians. People were like, we don't trust you. And all the Jews were like, you are not who you used to be. You're not one of us anymore. And so he decides to go to Tarsus. And he just keeps his head down in Tarsus for 10 years. We forget this because if you just read through Acts, it's like two pages. We forget it's like 13 years of him just learning how to be in the kingdom of God now as a disciple of Jesus. 47 is what we just read. When Barnabas goes and finds him, brings him to Antioch. For a year, he stays in Antioch and preaches. And then he goes on this mission, the diaconia. He goes on the mission to send aid to Jerusalem. And things seem pretty normal. And then a little bit later is when he's sent out as a missionary. And so these three things, the yellow, the green, and the purple, those are the three missionary journeys of Paul that we read about in Acts. If you go to the back of your Bible and you see maps or something, you're going to see, you're going to see the missionary trip, missionary trip, missionary trip. And that's those. Do you notice, though, that those are actually smaller than, than the first two? Because he spent, you know, like 13 years just thinking about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. Here's the other funny thing about this. Uh, he's teaching in Antioch, and I'm going to say this very specifically. He exchanges a ministry of the word so that he can conduct a food relief program for the people in Jerusalem, which is the exact opposite of what we read in Acts 6, where they were like, hey, we're not going to, we're going to preach the word, not distribute food to the widows. And Paul does the exact opposite. He's like, all right, I'm going to stop preaching so that I can distribute food to the, the disciples in Jerusalem. I just think that's funny. But he goes from being a teacher he goes from being a nobody, a bad guy, a nobody, a teacher, an aid relief guy, to being a missionary. And then after that, that red is him being a prisoner. And he dies as a prisoner. Now, why do I say this? It's because this, is way, this resonates with me a whole lot more than the previous slide. If Saul is just a, is a really bad guy that was worse than me, and then he becomes a really good guy that was better than me, I don't know where I fit in that. But guys... You fit in this chart somewhere, just like Paul. Paul's not the most amazing guy who never did anything wrong. He, I resonate with this because like, I became a disciple at 23, and then for the next 17 years, I just had to learn how to be a disciple and be a husband and be a dad and be an employee of a job. And, and, and I'm like Paul in that way. It shows that Paul spent way more time than we usually think becoming the man that we read about. And so, maybe right now, you are in this, I'm just keeping my head down. I'm just trying not to make waves. I'm just trying to do my thing. But where is God taking you? Like, what does God want you to do? 
And maybe your diaconia, maybe your mission, maybe your ministry, maybe your service, it does look like teaching and helping people. Maybe it does look like meeting needs, physical needs of people and serving. Maybe it does look like missions and and, uh, sharing the gospel with people. Maybe it includes persecution because that's what Paul's included. But here's what I want you to know about Paul. When he saw a need, he asked himself, like, man, how can I meet that need? And so, what is a life of mission? A life of mission is about consistently looking for needs that you can meet. Looking for opportunities. Now, here's my warning, okay? When an opportunity comes, you're probably not going to call it an opportunity. You're going to call it a problem. One of the most amazing steps that you can make in your maturity, spiritual maturity, is just this. Swap out the word problem for opportunity. When you see problems, don't go, oh my gosh, look at all these problems. I wonder who's going to fix these. You're going to look around and you're going to see opportunities. And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, look at all these opportunities. This is amazing. I get, to, I get to help. And so diaconia, maybe you made this connection. It means service. The word from that that we get servant is the word that we get deacon. That's the, you know, religiousized Christian word. We just take the, the deacon part and we say, all right, now you're a deacon. It just means a servant. It just means someone who's meeting needs. Someone who sees something that can be done and does it. But will you lead a life of mission? Guys, I'm so excited for, uh, you know, people really, you know, I've heard lots of people talk about, man, I love that Alex and Courtney are here. And we would love them to, we would love to keep Courtney on during the school year and maybe even get Alex back if God performs a miracle. But, but that is a result of you, like your your effort and your love and your makes things happen. And that is what it means to live a life of mission. That you have a purpose. You see where you fit in the wall. And then you, you do that. You're not just one of the stones laying around on the ground doing nothing. And so I'm going to pray for us as a, as a body and for our mission, for our diaconia, for our ministry, for our service that we conduct and then uh, Steve is going to do our communion and then we're going to dismiss to a great fellowship where we have like cake and we got some bottled water and stuff out in the out in the back we just want to spend some time fellowshipping and celebrating that we have a mission so let's pray Uh, God thank you so much for the gift of purpose that you have decided that we um We're not just bystanders in your family, that we are active participants and that you bestow on us a mission, a ministry, and service. I pray that we can step up to that challenge, that we can see that that the thing that is being built is a beautiful um, temple made of stone and not brick, that 
that we are unique and we all have a place to fit in this. I pray for uh, our nation and the world as it is still dealing with COVID, and I just pray that we can uh, make some plans and you can bless them and we can continue to do great things here. We love you so much, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And with that, Steve Mask is going to do our communion.